Turn in your Bibles, or open your Bibles this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, continuing through this book, we come to the subject of hedonism. And I want us to consider the value of Christian hedonism. I mean, have you ever stopped to consider that value? A hedonist, or the philosophy, or the view of hedonism is the pursuit of Pleasure and the absence of suffering will make us, you know, secure our well-being. Uh, and there are a lot of people who are pursuing pleasure um, as their goal in life. Obviously, to succeed at that, you've got to minimize suffering. And there's a sense in which that's been the coronavirus kind of... Um, goal as well. We, we don't want to catch it and we don't want to give it. We want everybody to be happy. We want to pursue pleasure. We don't want to cause any suffering. We don't want to suffer. So how do we go from that hedonistic mindset to a Christian hedonist? Well, along comes John Piper about 1986 with his uh, great book, Desiring God. And in that book, he had been studying Jonathan Edwards. And he comes to the conclusion uh, through Edwards and his own studies that w we should all be Christian hedonists, not just hedonists, but Christian hedonists. We should indeed pursue pleasure, but we should pursue the pleasure of God. That our target is completely different from the non-Christian uh, target. The non-Christian is simply pursuing pleasure as their goal in the absence of suffering. But the Christian should be pursuing God as their goal. And the pleasure of God. And the enjoyment of God as their goal. And this is Piper's summary of what Jonathan Edwards... So this was the view back in Edwards' day. And hopefully we could find revival in our country and come back to this view in our day as Christians... But the view is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So you should be seeking satisfaction. You should be seeking pleasure in God. Because the more satisfied you are in God, the more glorified He is in us. Our chief Desire should be to glorify Him, and we won't glorify Him unless we enjoy Him, unless we are satisfied in Him. So the target for the Christian hedonist is completely different from the non-Christian hedonist. And that's what one of my passions as your pastor, I've been trying to teach through this whole pandemic, is that uh, yes, we want to be safe, and yes, we want to love one another, and yes, uh, we want to not cause suffering or have un unnecessary suffering, but we are willing to suffer if that's for the glory of God. That our highest pleasure is to please Him. And sometimes God does require us to suffer to please Him. But if we are pleasing Him, we find that to pleasure to strengthen us. And the more satisfied we are in it, the more glorified He is by it. Well, 
What does Ecclesiastes 2 say? Let's get into this text. And I think we kind of come to those conclusions. But do you remember the book of Ecclesiastes? It's here to, to let us see the journey of the wisest man on the earth, Solomon, before the time of Christ. And then Christ obviously is wiser than Solomon. But Solomon says, let me take you on a journey. I'm going to investigate the world for you. And in chapter 2, these uh, first 11 verses, he's investigating pleasure. What do we find here and uh, about pleasure? And he breaks, I'm breaking down his pleasurable pursuit into several categories. But first of all, I think it's interesting to, to note the first uh, few words. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2, verses, verse 1, he says, I said to myself, do you ever say that? Do you ever talk to yourself? This is not the first time he did it. You go back to chapter 1, verse 16. He says, I said to myself there too. He's talking to himself a lot here, just a few verses. Um, sometimes when you're at the top of your game, you're the king of the world. There's nobody else to talk to, right? I just talk to myself. But another thing it's telling us is that as he's pursuing pleasure, his mind is in gear. He's talking to himself. He's considering stuff. He's thinking this through. He's not just enjoying life, but he's evaluating life. And as he evaluates life uh, with his mind in gear, let us learn from him how to pursue a godly pleasure, a godly pursuit as God uses him to direct us. Well, four categories that I've given you here for his pleasurable pursuit. First of all, comedy and cognac pleasures. Um, the first one of those two comedies is, I, I, I'll test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness. And that's all he tells us about it. He says, I pursued laughter and it was just it was just as vain, just as futile. It was just as mad as everything else. What did he do to pursue laughter? I don't know. Maybe he, um, he hired some court jesters to come in, you know, and do stand-up comedy routines. Or maybe he just uh, watched a bunch of funny stuff on Netflix. I don't know. But he's pursuing laughter, and he says it just didn't take him into anything of significance. It, it was fun, sure, but it was mad. And then he goes to, um, after that, he says, and what does it accomplish? You know, then I explored, with verse 3, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me. You see his mind constantly working while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see that there what good there is for the sons of Ben to do under heaven the few years of their lives. Well, this pursuit of wine, I uh, obviously use the word cognac because that's alliteration. Uh, but uh, cognac, if just so you know, it's, it's a brandy made from distilled wine. So it's a, technically a wine as well. So, uh, but what he's doing here is saying, I pursued laughter, then I pursued intoxicating substances, you know, whatever they were available to the king, he says, I pursued it to see if that would make me wise as, or, you know, give me something of significance and value in this life. So whether it's drugs or alcohol or whatever, he is pursuing it here 
for us. We don't have to. Notice he's not pursuing it unto drunkenness. Solomon doesn't teach drunkenness. Not even in the book of Proverbs. Uh, I'll give you a couple of passages. Look over at Proverbs 20. There, you can go too far, even in uh, godly, pleasurable pursuits. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, Wine's a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated. Or literally, the Hebrew there is heirs. Heirs, E-R-R-S. It goes too far with it. Heirs by it is not wise. Um, you can take it too far. Look at chapter 23 of Proverbs um, verse 29 gives an illustration of, of, of that, taking it uh, too far. Proverbs 23, 29. It says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine, those who go to the taste Go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, and at last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things, and your mind will utter perverse things. And you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea, or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not come ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When, I, when shall I awake? I will seek another drink. Well, there's intoxication gone to the extreme of you don't know what you're thinking anymore. And you get back in Ecclesiastes 2, he says, no, I want to always be knowing what I'm thinking. That's taking it too far. Solomon is not taking it too far in Ecclesiastes 2. He says, my mind's engaged. I'm evaluating what I'm doing. Is this really significant? Laughter or wine, that kind of pursuit. And then he moves on. He saves the conclusion to the last. So he doesn't conclude uh, this until verse 11. Let's keep going. Verse, verses 4 through 6. Now you can pursue comedy, lots of fun activities that make you laugh. You can laugh till you hurt. And he says, it's still not giving you significance. It doesn't seem to last. You can drink until you're, you're right on the edge, and it doesn't seem to be giving you significance. Well, there's other things you can do. Verse 4, he says, I enlarge my works. Think about accomplishments. Accomplishments seem to, we sometimes think that adds value. I feel significant because of what I was able to do. And he goes through a list of things he's done here. Verse 4, I enlarge my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. Uh, let me stop there. I'm going too far. Uh, so accomplishments. Uh, I don't know that I'll, I'll, I'll take the time to, to read when he says he built houses for himself. His house took him 13 years to build. I mean, it was elaborate. But he didn't just build one house. He built multiple houses. So if you go to 1 Kings 7, you see that. She, Queen of Sheba comes, 1 Kings 10. She says, man, the house only been told. Uh, all that Solomon has built and done. You look at 1 Kings 9, 19. He's building whole cities. 
You get the idea. And not just one city. He built like five or six cities. Um, you think, well, I'm, I'm going to build. I think about in our news today, you'll see some of our uh, elaborate entertainer millionaires. And they've got two or three houses, two little, three little places. Solomon doesn't just buy a private island and put a nice mansion on there. Solomon builds whole cities, uh, not just a nice house. And it goes, and, and you see in Ecclesiastes 2, he builds forest. Doesn't just plant a tree in the backyard, he plants a forest. And he's living in an area that was hard to irrigate, which is why they didn't have forests there. And so to irrigate the trees that he's planting, he builds ponds in an irrigation systems. I mean, he just goes on and on. All the stuff that Solomon was able to build, it's, it's, it's a huge accomplishment. Uh, you say, well, how does he afford this? He, he uh, did gold mining and silver mining. And all. The, the revenue he got from gold, you can read this in 1 Kings, was 666 talents a year. Well, I did the math on that. And that's equivalent in our day's currency of gold, about $1,300 an ounce right now. That's equivalent to over a billion dollars a year just in gold. That, that, was, that Solomon was getting in. But he was also getting money in through silver mining, um, through uh, all sorts of perfumes and other things that he was creating and building. So Solomon, very conservative estimates, was making several billion dollars a year and spending it. How do you spend so much money? Well, he had a, you'll see in a minute, he had a thousand wives. That might help. You know. But he's, he's building so much. And it's so vast. Nothing any of us have ever built or anybody we know that have built something comes close in comparison to Solomon's construction accomplishments. He's just building vast amounts of stuff. Well, you get down to uh, his, uh, his, his build, and, and, and of course the conclusion, he says, it doesn't do it for me. It's not satisfying ultimately. Um, I, I've got all of these, these cities, trees, and gardens, beautiful stuff, but it's just not doing it for me. So then he goes to, to women and, and crews of people. Verse 7 I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Uh, also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. So he had 700 wives and he had 300 concubines. That's where you get the thousand. Um, I thought of, I did the math on that too. This is scary. Seven hundred wives—that means seven hundred weddings, guys. How many of you like to go to weddings? Seven hundred? I, I figured it this way. This is just my thought. You know, it takes at least a week to get ready for this wedding. You have the wedding, and then it's a week of honeymoon, right? So that took you two weeks for one wedding, basically. And then if you immediately start it over, let's give him two weeks off during the year. So we got 50 weeks in the year. That means he's got to do 25 weddings a year. If you do 25 weddings a year, it will take you 28 years to get to 700. 
28 years at, at, a, at a wedding every other week. Just doing weddings. How does he have time to do all this other stuff? You know, this is a man who is running wide open, pursuing pleasure in both accomplishments, in wives, in women, in slaves, in trade, all of the stuff that, you know, uh, that's possible. And where is it leading him? Well, again, just as I said, he pursued all the alcohol and drugs and stuff could give him. He says it's not satisfying. He didn't pursue drunkenness. He didn't pursue it wrongly. He didn't pursue it in that in a sinful way. In this case, he's pursuing polygamy. We'll call it what it is. But at the same time, he preaches and teaches monogamy. So he was in a, in a position in a world that allowed polygamy in our country, sadly, is doing that more and more. I didn't think I would ever have to deal with that subject in my lifetime, but it's, it's upon us. But Solomon teaches monogamy. Look at Proverbs. Uh, well, just in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, um, verse 7 says, Go and eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Uh, see, I thought it was right there. Oh, yeah. Verse 9, Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life. The woman, not with women. Solomon, when we get to chapter 9, he's saying you should have one wife and you should be content with that one wife. Um, well, he says the same thing over in Proverbs chapter 5. Very important uh, passage. Proverbs 5, beginning at verse 15, says, uh, Drink water from your own cistern. And he's using cistern, meaning the stuff that God's given you, not somebody else's, and then he uses as an analogy of um, a, a monogamous relationship, husband and wife. Fresh water from your own well, should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated, exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? In other words, stay with one woman, not multiple women. So we have Solomon knowing the truth. He's pursued uh, women sinfully. And he says, still doesn't satisfy Still doesn't satisfy. It's not getting us where we want to go. And lots of other things. Down Ecclesiastes 2 now, verse 9 and 10. So it's like if he leaves anything out, this is a summary. Catch all. Verse 9 and 10. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did. I would not refused them. I did not withhold my heart, and here's the key phrase, from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. So he didn't stop for anything. He pursued every pleasure known to man. He says, I increased above and beyond all men. I've been there, seen it, done it all. Didn't just get the t-shirt, created the t-shirt, you know. Did it all himself. Um, where does it get him? 
It says, doesn't tell us. But God doesn't want us to stop there. And that's why he's given us verse 11. Thus I considered, verse 11, thus I considered. So let's stop and evaluate. All my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Um, God wants us to have a right perspective. He wants us to stop and consider what's been said. He wants us to learn. He wants us to grow in the knowledge and wisdom of Christ. He wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be more like Christ. So this stopping and considering is intentional and purposeful. Um, So it says basically whether it was drugs, whether it was drinking, whether it was premarital sex, whether it was overworking, workaholism, uh, whatever. He says, I considered it all. And the conclusion I came to was that it was Vanity, striving after wind. There was no profit under the sun. See several things here. First of all, I want us to see the vanity of grasp. He defines here this vanity he, with the phrase striving after wind. Anybody here been running after wind lately? Anybody got some wind? You know, you can just hand to me. Have you ever grasped wind? I just got some, right? That's the futility he's talking about. He says, we can grab for it, but we can't ever hold it. He said, that's what I was finding. I could could grab the laughter, but it it didn't last. I could grab the cognac, but it, it didn't last. I could grab the pleasures of women. They didn't last. I could grab the accomplishments. It's like, okay, I finished that. What else? It didn't last. He says, it's it's a vain grasp. Why grasp for stuff you can't hold? For stuff you can't keep? It didn't last. And he wants us to see that grasping for the wind. Um, It only exists in the getting. To me, it's like Cheetos. How many like Cheetos? I mean, yeah, we all like Cheetos, right? You get one, and it's like, that was good, but it's gone. I need another one, right? And I can eat literally, I probably could eat the whole bag. I usually just go about half bag and then save it for another half bag, you know, kind of. But the reason we keep eating and eating is because it doesn't last. And so much of life is designed that way. We try to grab it for its pleasure And it just doesn't last. He says, see that it's vanity. It's striving after wind. Well, interesting that God describes it in Hebrews that way too. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. You could fly by this verse. It's not a very... Long verse, it's easy to, to, to miss what's going on here. But Hebrews 11, you have to back up to verse four, 24 to kind of know who, who's the subject. It's Moses. It says by verse 24, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God, rather 
than to enjoy. And this is the phrase I want you to see. Enjoy what? The passing pleasures of sin. Moses learned this early on. Sin is pleasurable. How many don't enjoy pleasure? We, we enjoy it. But Moses says, I've learned that it's vanity, this pursuit of pleasure, because it, you can't hold it. And so Moses says, I have determined, I'm not going to spin my wheels trying to grasp what I cannot hold. If God would be more glorified in my suffering, I'll choose suffering over pleasure. If God wants me to endure ill treatment, I'll pursue that over pleasure because I can't hold the pleasure. I get it. I know it feels good, but I can't hold it. I lose it. It's a pass. This pleasures of sin are passing pleasures. That's why people get depressed. They get so far and they, get, they run into a, a, a brick wall kind of thing. It's like, why can't I get to a place where it's just always pleasurable? And you can't get there because it's, it, it, it's passing. So where can you get? Look at Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 12. Matthew 5, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, rejoice, be glad, because you have a re reward in heaven that is great. How do you get a reward that lasts, a reward that's stored in heaven, it's there and it's growing to greatness. Well, you just have to back up in this passage and begin to see it. Um, verse 3, he says, Blessed, happy are you. You want to pursue happiness, pleasure? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Verse 5, Blessed are the gentle They'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You hunger and thirst for what's right and holy and pure. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful. Blessed, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed, verse 10, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Now we got to verse 12. If you do any of those things, you're laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. And your reward is great. That is grasping something you can keep. As opposed to trying to grasp something you can't hold. Why live your life grasping for what you can't hold when you could have something far greater and keep it for eternity? Solomon's asking us to consider that. Just grasping for stuff you can't hold is vanity. It's vanity. 
It's, it's as stupid as trying to hold the wind. You don't do that. Jesus says, I'll give you something that lasts. I'll give you rewards in heaven. Not small ones that are great. What a reserve Christ is providing for us. Um, and the reward is great. So see the vanity of grass. I mean, again, to live your life, the Christian target is different. We say, yeah, I want pleasure, but I, I, want, a, I want a pleasure that lasts, that mounts up rewards in heaven. And I'm willing to suffer here for that because that's worth holding on to and something I literally can possess and hold on to. Second thing in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, under this consideration, first is the vanity is like striving after the wind. And the second thing he says, there's no profit under the sun. So see the vanity of gain. We saw the vanity of grasping what you can't hold. See the vanity of gaining also what you can't profit from. You, you really can't get greater as a result of it. There's no profit under the sun here on earth. Uh, there's gain, but there's actually greater loss. Um, how many people have seen people pursue money and sex like Solomon did and in the process lose their family, lose their job, lose their reputation, lose their health? What profit? What's the gain? And he's talking about that kind of vanity. Why would you pursue these pleasures if in the end they don't really add to your bottom line? They don't really increase your value. There's no profit here. There's no gain. Look at Luke chapter 9 verse 25, the classic passage on this. Luke 9, 25. I'm going to read it. You're going to... Say, oh yeah, I know that, as soon as I start. But this is what it's about. Luke 9, verse 25 says, What is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So what if you were like Solomon and you literally could build cities? You feel like you, you've built everything that is around us. You own the world. But in the process of that, it doesn't increase your value. You lose your soul. God's not pleased with you. There's, no, there's not that enjoyment of God. It's so easy to, to, to get focused on feel, feeling good and not suffering. But that life of just feeling good and not suffering leads to no profit. To no gain. Psalm says, that, that's not wise. Get your mind in gear. And think through this. Um, why, why, is, why is there no gain? As I contemplate this. Why, why, why can I pursue stuff that is it's so much fun to pursue and, and get zero profit? And I think the, the answer to that question is because is contrary to what God created me for. Have you ever gone to work for somebody and so you're, you're trying to learn how to work and somebody's employed you and they tell you exactly what to do. 
I want you to go in the back of the warehouse and I want you to do X, Y, Z, you know? This is how I want you to spend your day. And you say, good, got it. And you go to the back of the warehouse, you pull out your phone, you start flipping Instagram, different stuff, social media. You spend the day doing what you want to do, right? Your employer comes at the end of the day and says, well, let me see what you've done. So, well, uh, I didn't get to that stuff you asked me to do yet. And the employer says, okay. So you didn't do any of that stuff? Uh Uh-uh. Well, then I'm not going to pay you for today. That'd be fair, wouldn't it? There should be no profit. There should be no gain. Because you didn't do the work. We say, yeah, that's fair. Well, God has created us. He's put us here on earth for His glory. And we say, yeah, yeah, I get that, but I'm going to go over here and do what I want to do. So God comes back and God says, now, what have you done? He said, well, I've been doing this over here. Well, who told you to do that? No, I just want to do it. It feels good. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not going to pay you for that. It's fair, right? There should be no profit. There should be no gain. You won't get profit and you won't get gain until you do what I ask you to do. And I've asked you to glorify me, not to glorify yourself. You're spending your life glorifying yourself. And you do that for no profit, no gain. Again, we need to see what does God call us to do? You know, hopefully you've all got it memorized. Matthew 6, 33. Just look it up. If you don't have it, get it now. Matthew 6, 33. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Then all these things will be added to you. And if you read that whole passage, He talks about food and clothing and everything you have need of. He says, But seek first My kingdom, My lordship, My glory, Seek me as your master, your savior, your redeemer. Seek me first and my righteousness, my ways, not your ways. And then you'll have profit. You'll have everything you need. It goes on, and it's just said, imagine, and not only that, you'll lay up reward. You'll take stuff with you when you go to glory. It will be a promotion like you've never seen. So there is a life of profit. There is a life of gain. You don't just have to conclude and say, vanity, vanity, there's no profit. There's no profit under the sun. But I've got a bank account in heaven. I have a place where God's keeping rewards. As I wake up and seek first Christ, His righteousness, His ways. And that's what God would have us learn from Solomon's pursuit. The value of God. Third point, just the value of God. Pleasures promise a lot, but produce little. It's kind of like so many companies today. I don't know about you, but I get frustrated with companies when their marketing department is so much better than their production department. Because if the marketing department is so much better than the production, they promise more than they can provide 
They promise you all these things. They give you these wonderful ads, and then the product is so inferior. It's like, ah. And many times, uh, the pleasures of life, it's that way. They promise you great stuff, but it doesn't last. It's vain. Um, Well, why is it so? Um, God didn't design it that way. Psalm 16, verse 11, in God's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That's where pleasures are. We need to be in God's hands. We need to be in God's presence. That's where value is found forevermore, not just under the sun, but here and beyond this world. Uh, What does God want us to do? Let's just think through our church uh, mission statement. Our mission here is wholehearted love for God and man. Wholehearted love for God and man. God says the greatest two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Second greatest command, love your neighbor as yourself. Wholehearted love for God and man. As I think about the hedonist, their philosophy has become, if it feels good, do it. Vanity, vanity, it's all vanity if you, if you run that course. So what is the Christian hedonist motto? I don't know that it's declared anywhere. I'm just thinking it through with you. But I think it would be more like this. If it loves God, and if it loves man the way God wants us to love man, then do it. Because that's what we were created to do. If it loves God, and if it loves man the way he's designed us to love each other in monogamous, righteous, holy relationships, then do it. Because then there's value. Then it lasts. Then it's great reward. Let's pray together. Father, help us to evaluate where we are in life. We all want pleasure. We all want to be happy. We all get depressed at emptiness. Father, help us to escape it. Help us to pursue you and your people first in your way. Lead us to Say no to sin. The pleasures are so passing. Lead us to say yes to you and righteousness. Father, draw us to yourself. Help us to know a life of great value. So that when we are taken home, when we stand before you, we see the half has not been told. The reward is great. Comfort us, O Lord, with these texts, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen.